Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Measuring Feedback, Chapter 2, Overweight Top Performers, Part 2. Here we go. So last week, you, you were sharing with us the analogy of the plant manager and looking at people right. <laughs> a little bit like a plant manager. Yeah, don't, don't even go there. <laughs> like but, dude, dude, we, we kid. I mean, we believe that care for people is important. We believe that people are the engines of everything, right? Yeah. And there are still analyses that can be effective, that can be helpful in clarifying our, our thinking. And I'm just afraid this is going to be the cast where Mark has said, Mark, Mark and Mike said, people are just machines. <laughs> it's yeah. the rise of the Terminators. <laughs> yeah, I suppose anybody who's been listening for a while knows we don't believe that. I guess if, I guess if this were your first podcast, there'd be some danger yeah. of somebody walking away going, not listen to those guys anymore. Yeah, we, we will stand on the body of our work here. <laughs> yeah, so, so folks, we're, I'm joking. It's a little tongue in cheek. So we used that analogy last week. So the plant manager right. analogy. So let's continue talking about yeah. about that. So for those maybe who didn't hear last week or just joining us, the plant manager analogy basically says that as a way of thinking about productivity in a team of people with a manager, the manager can think of him or herself as a plant manager and think of the people on the team as machines or systems or processes which output work or, you know, boxes of of, of jam or plastic caps or bottles or galvanized tin buckets or whatever. And the plant manager has choices to make about where he or she spends their time. And generally, if you do any kind of analysis, if you look at it in any way, you're going to discover that you ought to be spending your time on the, the place where you make the most profit or the most volume. And usually volume and profit are related, although not always. And the point of this analysis for us was to try to figure out where we could make the most difference in talking to our individual team members about their performance in terms of having the greatest impact on improving, pro improving productivity, because, of course, that's the purpose of feedback. And basically, the model shows that the classic managerial thinking, widely accepted, is the most work and usually the most profitable work is done by your top performers. Now, th there's a lot of data which show that output on teams conforms pretty closely to the Pareto principle, which is 80% of your output and we call the output, it's just basically a proxy for value, comes from 20% of your resources, okay? Now look, we, we've talked about this once before, and I wanna reprise something we talked about in the Coaching Dilemma cast from this is, I think, Mike, it's five years ago, but it's really important. And I think too many managers, you know, Manager Tools is really anti Fairness. There's another thing that's really going to get me in trouble. Too, yeah, too many. Yeah, you're Mike routinely. Guys, if you don't know it, Mike routinely rolls his eyes and say, Mike's, Mark's getting us in trouble again. <laughs> um, but look, too many managers are told, sometimes by HR, that we need to be fair. And fairness means treating everyone equally. Now, that's certainly good in matters of justice and compassion and so on. But it's actually not good in organizations. Organizations exist to focus people's energies in the right place. And when you focus something, you differentially address your energy to one thing and not another. So we don't like the idea of fairness if it means I'm going to treat everybody exactly the same. Certainly be kind to everyone, but that's not really fairness. That's just compassion made into behavior. But fairness does not is not a good idea if you're thinking equality of outcome, you know, that everyone gets exactly the same behavior from me other than normal professional comportment. So 
you start doing the analysis, and here's what you sh- here's what the analysis will show over and over again. Effective managers spend time on things in proportion to the value that those things deliver. You know, Pareto says 80% of your productivity and profits comes from 20% of your resources. And guys, you start doing this analysis. If you've never done a Pareto analysis, go get a Wikipedia page, look it up, do it, and you'll discover it's freakish. It's freakish how much it's, it's true. It's not all things are produced equally from all sources of output. So if you have a top performer on your team, we'll call him alpha, and you have a bottom performer on your team, delta, do we have any doubt that a top performer represents 80% of the value of the output of the team and that your delta person maybe only produces 5 or 10%? To say nothing of the fact that too many managers spend way too much time on delta, which which is a waste of, waste of effort. Oh, now, yeah. if you were following a plant manager around for a day, using that analogy, plant manager analogy, and he spent his day in the back of the warehouse poking around old stale orders, you might assume he's trying to solve some longstanding problem. Okay, and, and you think, oh, he's smart. But during that day, there are two or three systems and teams out on the floor, which every widget in his plant produces, goes through. And that's where all the profit is essentially created. Now, maybe you cut that guy some slack. He's on the trail of some big improvement. But suppose he does it for a week and those key, key systems that we were talking about begin to falter a little bit. Hmm, yeah, the ones that produce all the profits, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If he continues to worry about something in the dark corners of his plant while his most important systems work or, in fact, you know, don't work, can you say he's really worried about the right things? You may be thinking he's making an investment, but he better be dang sure that that investment has a huge ROI because we tend to focus on the things that got us where we are, right? Look, make it easier. Your company has been selling industrial packaging for years. You're an industry leader. Customers pay a premium for your stuff. Look, think of Apple's iPad pricing versus other tablets. I mean, other tablets are cheap, a lot cheaper. But your CEO wants the company to expand overseas into lower profitability markets. He's thinking that the revenue growth and your company's lead in design of your industrial packaging will last while he builds this low-margin business overseas. He spends a lot of time traveling. The company loses market share at home because he's not involved making smart decisions. Do you think the board of the company that you're at will tolerate him if sales go down and competitors' designs get better, even though lower-margin international sales continue to grow? Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, how do we grow sales then? You know, Sometimes we have to take our eye off the ball about the, the top performers. Aren't we supposed to count on our strong products to take care of things? Are we supposed to ask our top performers to take care of the things that are important so we can worry about other things? No, guys, that's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is grow not from weakness, but from strength. And that means for a CEO, growing the high margin proprietary business versus going after a different business. And the plant manager analogy tells us that our top performing direct is where the value is produced. So therefore, by definition, she's where an effective manager spends his or her time. Effective managers spend time differentially. Not, it's not as if we only do one-on-ones or we only give feedback to top performers. We, give one-on, we do one-on-ones with everybody. We meet with everybody. We make ourselves available to everybody. There's a minimal amount of time, right? And we're talking about marginal time, right? Right. It, when you have additional time, effective managers spend their time with their top producers in the same way that effective companies spend time marketing and selling their best products and services, and the best CEOs spend their, their best time with their key profit-driving divisions and ideas. That's it's really what, what it boils down to. Let's say my bottom performer, Delta, I think you call him, isn't it likely that any time I spend on him, if he's at, at, say he's at the bottom 5%, if I spend time with him, aren't I likely to get 
better improvement with him than say with Alpha, my best performer? No, no, this is no, this is a. No. I think the thinking there is every person is capable of a hundred percent effectiveness. And while that's true, every person has a hundred percent mark. If someone is notably outperforming somebody else, their top 100%, if they're at full productivity, that is more value to the organization or that is a higher level of productivity than the person who is only performing at 20 or 30% of, of that top performer. And so the idea is with a low performer is because their top end is the same as the top end of a top performer, any time I spend there is going to give me greater improvement in that person, okay? But there's two faults with that. The first one is that top performer's 100% level is a higher 100% than the guy who's performing lower, all things being equal based on all kinds of productivity statistics. And secondly, even if you only get a 5% improvement from your top performer and you get a 10% improvement double from your bottom performer, that's 10% on top of only 20%. And so they're only growing by 2%, right? Whereas the top performer growing him by 10%, you get a bigger improvement. You're working from a larger base of, of productivity. Yeah. Would, would you want to improve your lowest margin product growth by 5% or would you, your top, right? Yeah. And look, it's even more clear than that. The question is not whether someone can improve. Everybody can, and we want them to improve a lot. But rather whether, and this is where it really gets interesting for effective managers, rather whether a similar amount of work, a similar amount of time from the manager with a top performer will yield more or less improvement to the business than that amount of work with a failing performer. And the data about performance improvements are pretty clear. Failing performers can be improved, but are generally much harder to improve. And when I say harder, I mean takes more time than it takes to improve a top performer. It's just not hard. It really becomes clear that it's so clear it's inarguable. If the feedback tool is our primary performance communication tool, we have to apply it differentially in favor of our top performers. Now, look, I want to go back. Remember the first thing we said? I know some people are going, wait, that doesn't make sense. It does. We're going to give a certain amount of feedback to everybody. I'm not going to ignore my bottom performers, and I want them to improve. But my top performers are more valuable now and will become yet still more valuable if I give them more feedback and I do it in a way that's effective. So with that in mind, I know that was a long, I know we, there are people who say, well, that was theory. And you know, you're right. There are some points that we make that we don't think we can make powerfully to a lot of people unless we include a little bit of theory. Um, so if we do 20 minutes of theory every year, I think we're probably okay. What are some guidelines that we found from, from managers who are really good at giving feedback and are good at getting high productivity improvements out of their people? What are some guidelines we have that'll increase the value, the differential value of feedback to a team. And the first one is don't miss an opportunity with the top performer, okay? In the beginning, when you're using the feedback tool for the first time, there are gonna be plenty of times where you see something good or bad, effective or ineffective, that you're not gonna get feedback about. You're behind schedule, you're busy, they're busy, it's not important, you're not sure how to say it, you're worried you're gonna get it wrong, you're not sure they're in a good enough mood. We all make up all kinds of reasons. Mike and I have done it too. Yeah. But with top performers, you've got to fight that, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. If you're in a room with a top performer, don't let them leave without giving feedback. That's the rule that I have. For mm. a top performer, if I'm in a room with them and they work for me, I'm not going to let them leave without giving them feedback every single time. 
Okay. If you see anything good or later bad in the event that you're giving negative feedback too, and if it's taking you six months to get here, then yeah, you can start giving, you can give negative feedback too. If you see anything good or or bad, say something about it. Okay. This is both practice for you and reminders for them what kind of future behaviors you want. Your top performers doing more good things and less bad things is a bigger productivity improvement boost for your team than spending time, similar time, with your weaker performers. Now, I'll go further. If you miss an opportunity with a weaker performer, okay, but don't miss an opportunity to give feedback to a top performer. And if you're wondering how your top performers will feel, ask yourself, A, am I a top performer? And B, how would I feel if my boss started giving me more feedback in a professional and polite way? We think you'll say, yeah, I'm fine with it, even if he or she's a little picky. So don't act as if your directs are so different or less enlightened than you that they would not equally appreciate additional marginal time with you as their boss. Okay, second thing, one-on-one. And this comes out directly from one of my mentors told me, dude, don't let your top performers out of room without telling them how they did. That was the first one. And then it occurred to me, holy Toledo, when am I always in a room every week with my top performers during my one-on-one? Yeah, right? exactly. Right? So if you're in a room with a, one- with a top performer, you got to give them feedback. In the beginning, of course, only positive feedback. And guys, slather it on. Let's learn while we're talking to our top performers whom we probably have a better relationship with, overdo positive feedback. And, and guys, Trust us, the deck is stacked so badly against us. There's nowhere near you're going to be you're going to be actually overdoing it. There'll be top performers who are high Ds who will say, "Oh, you're overdoing it. You don't need to give me feedback about that." But secretly, privately, they're simply trying to come across as tough and and make it happen kind of people. That they're trying to tell you, "I'm not doing this in order to be stroked. I don't need to be stroked. I have bigger bigger ego strength than that." But dude, you're not overdoing it. Them complaining a little bit is secretly just a, a screen. And the fact is, people love getting positive feedback, even small positive feedback from their boss. And look, the more feedback you give, the faster you'll get better at it. So look, use your one-on-one, write down the feedback, okay? Before every one-on-one with your top performers, write several items of positive feedback and give them that positive feedback in the one-on-one. Negative feedback too, when you get to that point? Yeah, sure. When you get to negative feedback, delivery time in the rollout, in the Trinity rollout, add that in. Remembering, though, too many managers go, okay, it's time for negative, and they stop giving positive. So remember the 90-10 rule, okay, which means nine bits of positive for every one bit of negative. Now, you may say, well, that's not enough negative. There's things that are wrong. Trust me, there are things that are right, too. And whatever you do, guys, don't use the sandwich technique. I'm sure that the longtime listeners are like, I can't even believe he mentions it, but there are people who talk to me every week are like, well, what if I give them positive and the negative and positive in order to make them feel like, you know, I'll apply the sandwich technique to the manager tools feedback tool and that'll be the way. No, guys, don't do it. It just pisses people off. <laughs> it doesn't. It, <laughs> it, doesn't it just work. doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. So this, this uh, podcast is ostensibly about measurement and metrics and stuff. So are we going to do any measurement? yeah that's good um yeah we're gonna measure and and it's simple each week we've tried several different ways to do it we tried tallying daily it didn't really work monthly doesn't really work weekly appears to be the right periodicity we discover with lots of managers that just keeping a rough estimate of how much they've given differentially meaning to top performers is enough 
Okay, and, and we've already beat you over the head, guys. You've you're already graduated um, from keeping track of, of feedback with poker chips, right? Uh, or hairbands. And if you don't know about that, go back to the first podcast in this series. Or frankly, if you're not using hairbands or poker chips, whatever totem you've been leaning on to help you keep count. We found that most managers who have done so have become reasonably good at having an, a, a rough, accurate estimate of how much they've been given. I think rough and accurate probably cancel each other out. So, in fact, it's just an estimate anyway. So, <laughs> we should just use – I should cut some words out like just accurate and rough. Just, and just say estimate. Yeah. No, I'll leave it, leave it to a high C to say guess, guess like guesstimate. No, I, I would prefer something more precise like estimate. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you're high. So, so, yeah, yeah. so ask yourself at the end of each week – did I distribute roughly 50% of my feedback to my top performers? Now, guys, look, to be clear, if you have 10 people on your team and you have a median and five of them are above and five of them below, those five people who are above are not your top performers. We're talking about your distinctly top performers. In a, in a team of 10, there's one, maybe two, maybe on an outside chance, three. And so we're saying... After you've given lots of feedback and you establish it as a pattern of behavior, managerial behavior, ask yourself, did I distribute roughly 50% of my feedback to my top performers? And look, we've tried to encourage managers to match Pareto's 80-20 rule because if 80% of your results come from 20% of your people, you should be giving 80% of your feedback to 20% of your people, okay? And most of them couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. There's just too much too, too much feedback thinking going on to try to get there. But we found that a lot of them could get to 50-50. And that's still a differential that's better than some equal distribution. Now, look, if you only have two to three directs, then your top person ought to start getting 80%. We think that you should be able to give 80% to your top person. Provided when we say top, he or she is distinctly good as opposed to if you've got three average performers working for you, and there's really no distinction between them, uh, hopefully that will start to come out as you spend more time with your team, but then you probably don't need to use this rule. But if you've got separation in terms of productivity and performance from your team, try to give roughly 50% of your feedback to your top performers after you've established yourself as being comfortable giving feedback. Now you, sh you shared with me before this cast that you had a special challenge for folks. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. This is going to be hard. If you've been using poker chips or hairbands and you've achieved five instances of feedback a week, five days in a row, you've graduated, right? You've done enough feedback that is probably second nature. Okay, so start over, same challenge, but now count only the feedback that you give to top performers. Only move poker chips from your left to your right or correct pocket when that feedback was delivered to a, a Pareto top performer. And just start all over again. And by the way, we don't mean only give feedback to your top performer. We mean 50% of the feedback goes to your top performers, one or two or three, however many people you have. And you're still giving feedback to everybody else, but you're only counting the stuff to the top performer. It's really hard. But kudos to those of you who do it. I mean, you're continuing giving feedback across the board, and you're only going to count your top performers as a way of saying, am I really focusing on top performers? Okay. So let's, let's give a free annual individual license to the first person who completes this. So what, what are the criteria for winning this contest? Look, I think it's simple. We'll use the honor system. If you've already passed the poker chip challenge and you've given five instances of feedback a week, five days in a row... Right, So you've gone from one to two, three to four to five. Folks, if you don't know what that is, then there's another cast in this series. The first one, you ought to go back and listen to it. So 
honor system, if you've passed that, you can start over with the poker chips. You start with one poker chip in your left pocket. You're still giving feedback across the board to everybody in your team. You're going to try to move that poker chip from the left to the right pocket for giving feedback to top performers. And if you, if you get five days in a row where that poker chip is in the right pocket, if you forget to bring the poker chip and you say, well, I'm pretty sure I gave feedback, it doesn't count. You have to start over and you go back to zero in a row. If you go five days in a row, five work days in a row, having given feedback to a top performer, then you can put a second poker chip in your pocket. And then you have to go five days in a row giving two bits of feedback to top performers. If you want, to, if you want it to be only positive, that's fine with us. Okay, we're not going to we're not going to proscribe positive or negative. And if in the second week, or maybe it may take you five weeks of trying to get through the first week, but it, once you start doing two poker chips, if you end a day and you have a put one poker chip in your left pocket and one in your right, you failed, and you have to start over again at zero with two poker chips. You don't have to go back to one poker chip, but you've got to go back to two. And to graduate, you have to graduate all the way up to five poker chips or five hairbands on the left side, and you have to go five days in a row and put move the poker chip to the right. Yeah, I'll give a license for the first person who writes in to do that. And guys, if you write in in five weeks, I'm not going to believe you. <laughs> I, I know I said the honor system, but I'm not going to believe you. It's pretty hard to do. This, is, this yeah. is the challenge. And it's a good one to do. Even if you don't win, your organization will benefit from it. Yeah, and gosh, that's what organizations do. Organizations put out products that don't win in the marketplace, but they learn from them. And companies try things. And, and people say, oh, you can't try things here. You can't experiment. Sure you can. This is an experiment in management. Try to push yourself to give more feedback to your top performers. If you fail, it's not as if they're going to they're gonna shame you for it because you're doing more of the kind of feedback that your people want and the organization wants you to do anyway. Nothing wrong with failing in, the, in pursuit of a noble cause. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, so wrapping up, more is better initially, but then once we get better, right, we want to add quality on top of quantity. And quality feedback is, is stuff that improves the output of the organization, and that means feedback to top performers, and we recommend you do a weekly comparison. Guys, the best organizations embrace feedback of all types. Profit is feedback. Customer comments are feedback. And top performers do more with good feedback than other performers usually. That's why they're top performers in part. Once we've made providing feedback a part of how we manage, we can improve the results we get from it by directing it more strategically. Okay, now, now I promised everybody I'd do John Brown's body. For those of you who stayed and you haven't heard it before, my favorite quote on leadership and management is a passage from Stephen Vincent Benet's Pulitzer Prize winning book, John Brown's Body. It's about the Civil War, the American Civil War. And I just love it because it, it says that planning is not managing, that what you do in your head might be helpful, but it's not the same thing as what actually happens in the real world. And people who write books about management, no jokes about that, please, but who don't manage people really don't know what they're talking about. So here's the quote. If you take a flat map and move wooden blocks upon it strategically, the thing looks well. The blocks behave as they should. The science of war is moving live men like blocks and getting the blocks into place at a fixed moment. But it takes time to mold your men into blocks and flat maps turn into country where creeks and gullies hamper your wooden squares. They stick in the brush. They are tired and rest. They straggle after ripe blackberries. And you cannot lift them up in your hand and move them. It is all so clear in the maps, so clear in the mind. But the orders are slow. The men in the blocks are slow to move. 
When they start, they take too long on the way. And the general loses his stars, and the block men die in unstrategic defiance of martial law because they're still used to just being men and not block parts. And as it happened, folks, this guidance was written on my flight from L.A. to Sydney overnight. Mine was the only light on in the cabin. This is one of my favorite casts ever writing it. I hope we hope you enjoyed it. Awesome, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. Have a great one. So long.